Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. None other than the one and only Catfish McDerris. His new book is Valentina Mescalito Blues. Catfish, hello, how are you tonight? Hi, Dr. Michael, doing good. Yeah, I'm all ready. I got all, all primed up here. All the snow melted off up here in Milwaukee and ready to power. Well, it's always good to hear your voice. You're one of my favorite people, and anytime you want to Share your work. You have a form, and tonight it is it. Let's begin with a poem. Please start with it. Okay, I'm going to start this one. This one's uh, the one that's up for the Pushcart Prize for 2022. Uh, the, the publisher from, uh, his name is Joseph Fulkerson, and he's the one from Laughing Ronin Press. Good guy from Kentucky. Okay, it's called Swordfish Trombones. I see ears. In the swirling starry night, the sky is drunk, the sun puking lemon juice. The moon has a toothache. The lady asks a dope fiend to come and talk to Jesus. He stinks of absinthe and funk. Sometimes at night, I meet myself when I was young. I discuss myself now. What color is the wind? What color is an orgasm? What color is death? There is no sea of tranquility. There is no such thing as a small miracle. Drinking Mexican coffee as black as death, Lady Gaga drives up in a dirty mercury. They head to the valley of rhinoceros, listening to swordfish trombone and bitches brew overlooking Mexico City. The end. Oh, I like that. I like that. You know, you've been writing for a long time, and your work is known from here to there. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Yeah, that one, that one, uh, it felt good to write that one. Getting in a few uh, things there. But uh, right. I don't know if it'll win the push card. I thought I won it last year, but I don't think I did. <laughs> I don't know what they do when you win. They put you in an anthology, I think. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> so in general, does writing energize or exhaust you? The, in general. Does writing, excuse me? Does it energize or exhaust you? Uh, writing energizes me, man. I mean, That's if you tough. read along, uh, to me I get energized. You know, I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, and uh, I get that caffeine buzz going, you know, and sometimes I'll put on some really good music, some blues or whatever, and uh, I, la- I, learn- I uh, listen to this new guy. His name is Kingfish Ingram, and uh, he's a 22-year-old black kid from Mississippi, man, and he plays like Jimi Hendrix, man, and I put him on, man, and I'm like, I just get energized listening to this kid, man. He's got such a good voice, and he plays the hell out of the guitar, man. Oh, he puts nice. the guitar like right it. up on his big old stomach, man, and he 
He wails with that sucker, man. <laughs> Please share another poem. Okay. This is the first first poem in the book. It's called Humanity Matters. 68 years ago, on Route 66, I was born near the Sangre de Cristos. Yesterday, the love of my life and I saw a protest sign that said, Save a, co- save a life, kill a cop. My Mexican wife cried. My knuckles clenched the steering wheel. Our young do- daughter is a rookie cop in the bloody torn streets in Milwaukee. Black Hawk helicopters patrol the skies. Army snipers are assigned to the roofs of all the police stations. Rioters are throwing Molotov cocktails, bricks, and bullets. They loot stores and burn neighborhoods and aggravate the pandemic. I cleaned my weapons. I hadn't touched them for 40 years. Anybody wants to hurt my blue angel will pay. I will take war unto thy streets until my guns fall lifeless. The end. Wow. That was more or less That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. Well, everybody had, you know, everybody, I, you know, Black Lives Matter is this, it's a thing, I don't know, I kind of think that all lives matter. I mean, if anybody is, you know, I'm, I come from an age where the black people in our country in the U.S. have, have, uh, they've, they haven't gotten a fair shake, man, and they do need a fair shake. And what's going on? The cops are undertrained and stuff, but I don't think we need to defund them. I think we need they just need better training, you know, and uh, they need help, you know, and uh, everything matters, like man. All our humanity matters. I know when I was in the Army for three years, it was blacks and whites and Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, and we were all – Brothers, man, and I mean, if we had to fight against anybody, there weren't no color in a foxhole. Right. There is no color, you know. You're American. That's it. And that's. I think we're in a foxhole right now. I think Trump yeah. put us in a foxhole, and Biden's trying to dig us out. But this, this damn COVID is is killing off everybody, you know, killing off True. the economy and the climate and everything else. Well, speaking of of what you just said, which brings up a question for me to ask you, all that you know about all that you know, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? What is our role? What should we be doing? I I think a poet poet can soothe people, and I think a poet – they, they're somewhat of a preacher, too, you know, somewhat of a, a reverend, a father. Uh, you know, they they try to get their, you know, get their uh, inspirations out there in the public. And like, like we were talking about, you know, like teaching the younger generation what's going on, you know, the music mm-hmm. and uh, through poetry and, you know, uh, Rap, you know, you see like that, uh, they had LL Cool J and he was rapping with Eminem, 
I mean, and those two, man, they were they were socking it, man. And then J Lo comes on, and, you know, that like that. That's poetry too, man. You know, but uh, that's the way I feel about it. Well, let's talk about your book, Valentina So Blue. Okay, what inspired? What inspired? Let me get my hearing aid back in. That's how old I am. All right, no problem. I'll be right within a second. All right. All right. Here I am back. Okay. I had a, have a hearing aid problem. That artillery in my in the army screwed up my ears, and I have to wear hearing aids now. Oh wow! But well, when you have a, a speakerphone, you don't know whether to put it in or take it out. Man, it starts giving you some feedback. <laughs> Tell like me you about got your Jimmy Hendrix in your ear. Okay. What inspired your what inspired your book? What inspired my book? You know what inspired yeah. my book was I started thinking about, this is kind of crazy, but I don't like women having all the tattoos. I'm too okay. old for that. Man. I know my daughter even has some tattoos. She's got like a geisha girl on her back and one on her ankle and one on her arm. She doesn't have one of those whole sleeves of things, but... When I see tattoos, I think about sailors, man, all the sailors that when we were young, you know, only a sailor would have tattoos, you know, or somebody that was in prison. But you see all these young girls, and they're beautiful. But then you look at them, and you see all these tattoos, man. So I decided I was going to invent. This is what you can do with poetry and a story is you can make an invention. I had this invention where a dancer, he was he has a... a I call it a Verpo machine. It's it's kind of a, a laser machine, but it's not abrasion or laser. He can uh, put this device in a person's toe, and they can suck all the tattoos out of a person in like ten seconds. You know, so they can strip all the tattoos completely from a woman or a man, and take them off, and then he can just pour the ink into a five-gallon bucket. You know. And if they want to get more tattoos later, that's up to them. But they they can get rid of their tattoos as the women mature. Maybe they don't want to have a tattoo. Maybe they don't want to have their kids see that tattoo or whatever. But it can be the same thing with men, though. But that was kind of where I got this answer and I got this idea. Uh, I'm in the middle of a story I'm writing right now about turning Mount Rushmore into gold. And then having all the people that are greedy and stuff go up there and tear down all them damn presidents that shouldn't be up there on the side of that mountain anyway. And that's my next uh, dancer uh, story. And I'm working on that. I haven't quite got it perfected, though, man. When I get into the middle of a story, though, I just keep hammering on it until I got it chiseled out. But I don't like Mount Rushmore. They, they're taking all the, in the South, they're taking down all the Confederate soldiers' uh, statues, you know, and everything, because it's yeah. not fair. They need to get rid of, they need to get rid of uh, Mount Rushmore, because that's not fair to the Native Americans, you know. That, that is true. That is true. There are sacred black hills with uh, presidents from Europe, you know, that, in my opinion. So in terms of your book, just for a second, Valentina is a character. 
in the book. What is now? Valentina. She's a character in the book. Dancer? Oh, Valentina? No, yes. Valentina. Valentina's Dancer's Woman. And okay. they, uh, yeah, Valentina and Dancer, that's more or less what the whole book is about. It's about two two people that are in love, and they go to Mexico, and they come up to Milwaukee, and uh, they, uh, they run along. One of the characters, a small character, is Jeffrey Dahmer. They run oh, into wow. some of his uh, bad stuff, because I know about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know. I uh, I read in front of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer a few times, and, uh, you know, I, I, when I worked at the main post office downtown in Milwaukee, they would mail bombs to him while he was in prison, so we'd have to evacuate the post office, you know, and they'd bring in the dogs and hazmat and everything else, you know, to search to see who was going to see if they had any bombs going to prison to blow up Jeffrey Dahmer. But I think he didn't last but about nine months. So that filled off our free smoke breaks, you know, at the time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he he didn't last long when they got him in prison. I think about nine months somebody gave him the shank. Yeah. Well, read another poem, my friend. Read another okay. poem. Okay. Let's see what we got here. I got a bunch of... I think I'm going to read one from Buffalo Nichols here. This is the only... This is a little quarter-sized book I had published in my home state of New Mexico. And it's the only book that I ever had go to City Lights in uh, San Francisco. It says, Mama Cita Frankenstein. It says, Your heart is dancing in your fingers. Clouds playing tag in the trout belly sky. Motherfucking flea circus on my dirty dog. Let me show you what's on the menu. Be my mamacita Frankenstein with Mary Jane and black cat wine. The end. (laughs) I think I want you to read that one again. Please. You want to see it again? Yeah. Let me read one that's next to it. It's called... Okay. Your cough syrup tastes like cat food. This one's saying, eating zombie brains and chicken necks, throbbing jalapeno testicles, thundering, strangling hemorrhoids. My pickup truck wants a rim job. Give me a full clip. Don't kiss and tell. My lady wants to go to Mexico and the cat died. I was I was going to bury her, but I stuck her in the freezer. Now she looks at me every time I eat ice cream. The end. <laughs> that was the centerfold of this little book. <laughs> that was from Grandma Moses Press. It's a high school teacher down in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and he's from uh, Alabama. Uh, yeah, and this little book's got sent to uh, City Lights. I guess they uh, they like this one out there, you know. Mm-hmm. A little crazy. <laughs> you know, your poems, to me, are always about emotion in one shape or form, all right? Yeah. Do you think I'm going to read you one. Be... I want to read well, one here. Do. It's from Prying. Now, this okay. is a new book that's coming out, and all the collectors of... Uh, 
of uh, Charles Bukowski and Jack Michelin. It's coming out from Germany. And I've only been able to read this twice, and I, I choke up crying because it's it's kind of a... Uh, I wrote it, well, Prime came out in 97. So it's an old story, and this is the last story in the book. And it's kind of about a, a, it's my slant on George Foreman way before George Foreman, because it was written in 97. And this is a true story. It's called Cobalt's. Good morning, Mr. Fred. He goes, Skip. Lovey packed a little treat for us. Big Bill handed me a napkin wrapped slice of buckwheat cake soaked in blackstrap molasses. I scooted over in the pickup seat to make room for Big Bill. Splitting the cake into three pieces, my grandfather poured us a shot of java. I was almost two weeks of soreness. I was almost over my two weeks of soreness that came every summer when school let out. Brickland was a fierce occupation. We were bricking a Methodist church in Texaco, New Mexico, the last town before Texas. Big Bill was like an uncle to me. He was six foot six and weighed 300, all muscle, skin, real black, except for some white speckles. He'd got when he got burned by a nitrogen fertilizer in a farming accident. We didn't have a mortar mixer. Maybe they hadn't been invented. Big Bill was our mud man. He used a huge hoe in a mud box, seven foot by four, chopping mortar and sand water back and forth all day, finding the perfect consistency. When the hot carriers came with their wheelbarrows, he would shovel them a full load. Keeping mud for four bricklayers was no easy task, but Big Bill just grinned and kept chopping. By nine, he'd strip to the waist and the red bandana around his forehead to keep the sweat out of his eyes. His muscles rippled across his back and arms. Shining in the sun, he took on a cobalt hue like burnished steel. Granddad had hired a Mexican bricklayer a week before. He'd been riding me about being the boss's grandson. You aren't even dry behind the ears, Bendejo. This is for you. This is for men, he taunted. I let it slide. Big Bill wanted to have a word with him, but I'd seen my granddad restrain him. If it wasn't such a big job, I knew he would have given the Mexican his walking papers. The Mex was a fair brick mechanic if he would just keep his mouth off of me. After a couple more days, it became a splinter beginning to fester. Oh, yeah, cabron, if it wasn't for your grandpa and that big nigger, I'd spank your ass. Chinga tu madre, you pepper-bellied son of a puta. Are you all talk? His first punch caught me under the chin and lifted me off my feet. His second grazed my forehead on the way down. As I hit the ground, I rolled away from his kicks, ragged. Grabbing a handful of dirt, I threw it in his face. Knowing I was in trouble, I looked for something to even the odds. I grabbed a short-handled shovel. I swung with everything I had. A sickening crunch came from his breaking ribs. His nose exploded as I hit him in the face. Standing over him, I held the shovel ready to chop off his head like a rattler. The entire earth was trembling in slow motion. Feeling two hands grab each shoulder, one hand, the other black. 
I grabbed this I dropped the shovel. My heart was pounding loud in my ears. It took a minute for me to get my breath. Don't you ever call my uncle a nigger. He's not even black. I booted the Mexican in the broken ribs before they dragged me away. That evening we pulled up in, in front of Big Bill's. Wait a minute, Mr. Fred. He returned with a small box. This is for you, Skip. Opening it, there was a purple velvet. On purple velvet was a silver star. A paper read awarded to Sergeant Bill Jenkins for courage above and beyond the call of duty. He said, see y'all tomorrow. He called and vanished inside. I said, yes, sir. I said, into the night. The end. That was a true story. I could tell from the way that you shared it the emotion that was involved, you know, which brings up my question to you. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? I couldn't really hear you. I'm... I said, do you, think, do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Right. Can well, someone that, be called a poet? That one I couldn't hardly get to the end, you know. Uh, I, I only I read tell. that, I think, it twice. And I was I was wondering, you know, with me being white and you being black, I was wondering if I can use the N-word, but the way I used it, it was what happened back then in those days. I mean, it was a yes. it was an actual event, you know. And, yes, uh, I know. It was like, I mean, I had my grandfather hired hired black guys and Mexican guys because that's where I grew up in New Mexico, right on the Texas line. But in Texas, they were really prejudiced. But in New Mexico, yes. it wasn't. No, it wasn't like that. You know, I mean, right? It was it was different. Just just crossing one state line, that was you know that was the difference of it, and. Uh, you know, it's hard to imagine now what happens, but, and then it just got worse. It still got worse, you know what I mean? Boxing yeah. and all that crap, you know, I don't know. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story, Catfish, because, again, it's real, and you told it from the heart, and that's what was most important. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Do you do a lot of editing, or you just leave it as it is? You know what? I'm having trouble again. Hang on a minute now. I'm having trouble hearing you. I might have to get another phone here. Okay. You know what? I think I'm going to turn this this thing off. Maybe that'll be it. Yeah. Okay. Now, what'd you say again? Sorry okay, about that. I said that. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. It's no problem. I said some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Do you do a lot of editing, or you leave it as it is? That's that story. I don't. 
I still didn't hear you very well. I'm going to get my wife to get another phone. This phone. Just a second. Yes. Hey, babe. Can you bring me the the phone from down there? I can't hear the phone. I think the speaker's messed up. My wife's going to bring me a phone. I think the phone from downstairs might work better. I don't know. Something's acting up with my hearing aids. Okay. Here we go. Let's see if this works. Thanks, babe. Technical difficulty, we'll be right back. You know, 
Uh, All right. Everything well, different. Share, a, share another poem. I want to hear you oh. work. Share another poem. I'm going to go deep here. Let's see what we got here. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be from my uh, book. It was called Naked Cherry, Naked Naked Fly Cherry Marijuana. That's the name of the book, and it came out from Calcutta, India in 2012. Okay. Wow. This one's called Drugstore Rasta Wrap. Laying my my tried a normal postal prescription on the counter, Mr. Dreadlike Cool asks, Hey, white dude, what's new? New York Quarterly, I hope. The New Mexican Mountains, New Delhi. New Delhi, where, man? India, baby, India. Where are you going to get off on those zombie pills so we can work out in the back room? She handed me my bottle of blue and orange attitude adjusters. I shrugged and thought about the sombrero tequila in old Milwaukee I had in my ride, which would screw up any good I would get from the meds. Hey, Rasta, why do they put... The by mouth only on those bottles. They think I'm going to snort or shoot them. A week ago, a lady had a yeast infection. I gave her some horse pills with instructions. I guess she didn't read them, and she ate them instead of inserting them. Luckily, 911 got to her in time. Bad beer and a broken slot machine, huh? I grinned at, as Rasta pointed me towards the door. The end. <laughs> that one you gotta think about a little bit, but it's you know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I know that's kind of uh, kind of getting down on women on that one, you know. But that did that did happen to a relative of ours. She mm-hmm. she uh, told her daughter, you know, she had you know some problems, and she was supposed to not. She was supposed to insert the pills, not swallow them, you know. And she says, I, I just can't swallow these pills. They're, they're trying to kill me, man. They're just so big, you know. They're choking me. And her mm-hmm. daughter looked at the pill bottle and said, hey, you aren't supposed to swallow them, you know. <laughs> like, what? Really what do you think, my friend, that you're trying to communicate with your art? What are you trying to communicate I don't know. At first, I don't know. I was trying to escape all the uh, escape all the normal people, what they call normal people, you know, like at the post office where I more or less spent most of my life, you know, trying to uh, provide for my wife and daughter. And uh, I think I then I started. I was always a reader. When you start reading. That's what that's what's going to turn you into a writer, you know. Mm-hmm. You read Jack London and Hemingway and Pearl Buck and Dostoevsky and Dickens and all that. You're going to start saying, "Hey, man, maybe I could do this," you know. And uh, then you get turned onto the Beatniks and Bukowski, and you and if you you uh, me working in the post office, I related a lot to Bukowski, and I says, man, I could be as good as Bukowski. I could write my way out of Bukowski, out of the post office, you know, and that was a big mistake, man, and I'm still paying <laughs> for it, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of drinking problems and stuff, you know, but uh, 
Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I understand. I understand. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Your younger writing self. My younger writing self? Spend yes. time, spend more time with my wife and daughter and uh, and be a better man and uh, spend less time, less time writing and more time with the family. That's what I would tell okay. myself. Or I'd even tell okay. myself, quit writing. You know, just quit, man. <laughs> now that's that's bad, but that sometimes I wish I had never started writing. But you know, I I'd miss it though. Nobody understands. Well, I was going to ask you I, for you to make a statement like that's a very heavy statement that you wish you'd never started writing. That's huge. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you, I mean. You have people that don't understand that you have friends, like me and you have been friends for years now. And yes, we have. You have friends, and you consider them your buddies, your pals. But we don't get together and go out and eat or go out and barbecue a chicken or anything like that. But we're, no, we we're in touch, and we care about mm-hmm. each other. And, yes, we do. And even the thing is, you can even love each other. I mean, you can love your your brother, you can love your sisters, and in the poetry world or the uh, writing world or whatever. But nobody else, the other writers, won't understand that. They they say, hey, you don't have no friends, you don't have a social life, we can't go anywhere, you know, you don't drink anymore. Everybody wants to party, and you don't want to party, and all that. Well, a lot of people, even the poets, will say, oh, you don't party. Oh man. Something's wrong with him. Yeah, yeah, something's wrong. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I had to quit. Yeah, that's what's wrong with me, man. But, uh, Share another poem, my friend. Share another poem. Uh, I'm enjoying this listening to you work tonight. I need this. I need this a lot. So please, thank you. One more from uh, from uh, Naked Fly. Okay, a pie in the kisser. Her fine behind in that lemon yellow chiffon dress was hotter than the foot of my 66 GTO on a 100-degree sunny summer day. Sashay and sway, she had it all, whiplashing men's necks while they watched her bodacious buns like a world-class ping-pong match back and forth, to and fro. I floated alone. On her gardenia perfume scented trail, my mind, my brain shifting lower and lower. When the bus struck me, my last thoughts were lemon meringue pie. Then. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Catfish, my friend, do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Uh. I don't know, man. What what is a poet, really? You know what I mean? What, yes. What what is a poet? What is a poet? It's That's a good one. Somebody that can just string words together and and uh, and make you know make people laugh or and make people enjoy it. And who who really reads poetry? You know, I mean, only poets read poetry, really. Uh, you don't <laughs> see a lot of people reading poetry. You don't go to and meet people, you know, and and uh, stuff. Uh, I don't know. I I like, you know, I like 
I like being employed, you know, for the fact that uh, I have fun doing it. I have fun entertaining people, and uh, that's about it. All right, all right. Share another poem. Share another poem. All right, let me get one here. Okay. Let's see here. I'm gonna get this one out of here. Okay, this one's called. This one's from. It's called Twenty Seven Hammerheads Circling Ever Closer. It's where I was fighting with a hammerhead shark. That was the name of the book, but not that one. It's called Make Your Move. Spaniard's teeth were once razor sharp. His muscles were hard. Vision far seeing. He believed the only guarantee in life was that one day it will end. He paid. He played chess with his minutes, waiting to see what he was waiting for. He refused to shit at McDonald's. His women gave him chocolate-covered nuts, ladies with a thousand hearts of stone. They danced the hoochie-coochie under the harvest moon. They made their own music, laughed in the darkness, and let all the tomorrows Worry about their own damn selves. The end. <laughs> How do you deal with writer's block? I never had. <laughs> I never had. <laughs> oh, really? I that never other had writer's, day block. writer's block. What the hell? You just start writing, man. <laughs> I mean, if I... There, you know, the one thing that got me is that erasure poetry where you go into somebody else's poem and you erase all the words until you find a little a little poem, kind of like a haiku or something like that. Haiku, I like that, you know. I sit there and watch yeah. TV go, five, seven, five, five. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and when somebody else has a haiku and they don't have five seven five, you know, and syllables and stuff, I said, "That's not haiku. That's some other kind of coup. <laughs> I don't know what the hell kind of coup that is. I mean, haiku. Uh, but they got Read all these names. Catfish, my yeah. friend, you're making me smile, man, and I need to smile. So thank you so much. Oh, man. Got to. Ty, you want to hear another yeah. one? Okay. I'd love to hear go. another one. Yes. Okay. Here's the call. Wired and tired. Web offered to increase my drive and intensity in bed. Make my penis grow six inches and add lots of girth. Let me pick an Asian or a Russian bride. Flirt with a horny, lonely housewife living within four miles of me. Teach me any language fluently in ten days. Become a master plumber and get a Ph.D. in anything. Let me get $25 off at Starbucks after two hours of surveys. Get four million euros from a Nigerian princess. Become friends with Maya Angelou and Robin Williams even though they're dead. Learn to cook from the Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. There were so many possibilities, it was mind-boggling. I opted for a Hungarian goulash recipe for my slow cooker. I'd seen a 
squirrel run over by a fire truck that morning. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that was just some. What? Just dive, you know. It's just, you know, it's just dive. You're, you're just talking trash, you know, and stuff, and well, what, pop what out of there. You to, what moves you to write a book? What moves me? If I yes. see some words like. Uh, if I see a strange word, I'll write it down, like mollycoddle or humongous. Or sometimes my wife, see, my wife, uh, she learned at the British Embassy, she her English for, from her love for the Beatles, you know, and she'll come up with some strange British word, and I'll write it down, and I'll say, maybe I'll use it somewhere, you know, and see what happens or, or you know, anything, you know. Yeah. If you read Martin Eden, or uh, the other one, Martin Eden is a good book for any writer, wannabe writers, to read Martin Eden. I think that was by Jack London, and the other is The Moon and Sixpence, but that's by Somerset Mom. Both of those books will inspire any person that's starting to want to be a writer. Read those two books, Jack London and Somerset Mom. Martin Eden and the Moon and Sixpence. They're about wow. they're about guys that wanted to write so bad, and they they just wanted to they almost kill themselves. Some of them, well, I'll let you read them. Uh, Antler, I don't know, he's probably the number one writer up here in Milwaukee. He's like Walt okay. Whitman, but uh, he, <laughs> him and I both, we surprised each other. You know that. And uh, we both, those were the books, especially Martin Eden, you know, that Jack London wrote. And uh, those were the books that inspired us to become writers, you know. And he's about he's about eight years older than me. But yeah, he's still around. But these old guys, man, they know a lot, you know. It's and true. I'm sorry, they're with them. Yeah. You know, if you're a writer, all right, here's a funny question for you. What did you choose to be your mascot or spirit animal as a writer? What would be your mascot or spirit animal? Mascot or spirit animal? Huh? Probably a cat. You know. Tell me more. Tell me more. Just cats. Uh, cats are so smart and gentle, and I've had funny cats. You know, we got a real old cat. She's about to die now, but. Yeah, we're going to miss her, but uh, once she's gone, we can travel a little bit. We watch watch our daughter's dog a lot, too. I like dogs, too, but cats, uh, cats are, uh, if you want to, there's a book called uh, Save the Cat. This is called Save the Cat. If you want to be a playwright, uh, this guy... Well, a playwright told me about this, the lady that runs Silver Birch, uh, Silver Birch Press. He says, Catfish, if you want to write plays, and I told her that I I did because I've written a couple. Anyway, she says, buy Save the Cat. And there's, like, version one, version two, but buy Save the Cat, this book, and it'll tell you if you can write a, a play where somebody saves the cat, you know, 
in the middle of a, a gang fight or uh, anything, you know, like West Side Story or anything like that, and, they, and you save the cat, that's, that cat is going to save your play, you know. And uh, <laughs> cats are just like spirit animals, you know. They're they're uh, they you can pet them. They're smart as long as they stay go in the box and everything, you know. That's you know they're a little bit of work, but not too much, you know. And they don't talk back. I don't think I've ever, think asked, I've ever you asked you whether you came from a literary background, background or not. Do I have a literary background? Or did you come from one in your family? Oh, well, my mom my mom got a uh, degree. Well, my mom got a, a scholarship for academics in Oklahoma. Uh, they were from Cherokee Tribe. And she was in, uh, she got a full scholarship to uh, college for uh, academics and basketball. She was on a championship team of basketball. And uh, she and she moved to New Mexico, and uh, she became a mobile librarian, and we went to the Apache reservations of Chiricahua and the Mescalero reservations in uh, southern and northern New Mexico. So I traveled with her, and we met a lot of Indians, Navajo, Pueblo, Zuni, Hopi, all those. That was how I knew about a lot, a lot about Indians, because New Mexico has more Indians than the rest of the other 49 states put together, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and my grandmother, she was like Cherokee, and she got me to, for the love of Scrabble and watching Jeopardy and working crossword puzzles, you know. We even did the New York Times puzzle and... Uh, Oklahoma City puzzle and all that stuff, you know. So a love of letters and stuff. And then when I got in the Army, I went in the Army when I was 17, right before my 18th birthday for three years, and I wrote letters from Germany. I almost went to Vietnam, but I just missed that. And uh, I ended up in Germany, and I described all the castles I went to and, you know, the war games we played and all that, and long descriptive letters. And then my first uh, money that I ever made writing was for Reader's Digest. I wrote uh, Humor in Uniform, a uh, funny story, you know, and I thought, you know, hey, man, 75 bucks, that was, you know, it was just it was a, lot a lot of money. Yeah. I thought, this is great, man, you know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked you how you came to be called Catfish Oh, in all catfish. these years. Okay, well, uh, Bukowski has a friend, had a friend. His name was Low Dog Reeves. He's an Indian guy down in Indiana, and he had a magazine called Zen Tattoo, and he published Bukowski all the time, you know, and stuff. And we could, So anyway, uh, I sent in some poems and stories and stuff, and he liked them. And I was writing under my name, Stephen McNairis. But I told him, I said, I'd been in the post office about five or six years then. And I told him, I said, man, I hate the post office. I hate, I'm working nights. I got Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. I got crappy off days. And I says, I want to start a catfish farm. I said, they got all these rivers here in Milwaukee, and we're right on Lake Michigan. 
I said they got big buildings. They uh, you grow the catfish and their uh, excrement. They uh, grow uh, you know uh, plants with it and stuff, edible plants. I said, and uh, oh, I want to quit the post oven and start a catfish farm. He says, you're crazy, man. Don't ever quit the post office, man. That's a government job. You get a pension and everything, you know. And he said, you got a family. And uh, he started calling me catfish, and that's where it came from, from uh, Little Dog Reef. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So the other, this other guy, I was working at a zinc smelter in Amarillo, Texas, and it was like working in hell, man. I had to go and break this zinc out and throw it in a dump truck with a pitchfork. I was using a pitchfork just like being in hell. And this guy says, they should have called you Zinc, man. You know, instead of catfish, they call you Zinc, man. I said, shit, I don't want to call you Zinc, man. <laughs> oh, Zinc, man didn't fly. Catfish. Okay. Catfish took it. I'm glad it did. Please share another poem for me, okay. please. This is going to be a little bit different here. This one's called, Help Me, Please, God. When I think about the post office and my nightly panic attacks, I tremble and break into a sweat. The slick black floors seem to swallow me. First, and I choke up, breathing becomes almost impossible. People's faces melt and the building twists and tilts and the bosses devour what remains of my drinking sanity, and I think of my wife and daughter and how much I love them and how we need the money. Turning to God, I pray, and I wonder if he will help. Images of a gun, knife, rope, pills, bizarre thoughts. I take my meds and continue faking it for an eternity or of hours. The end. Oh, wow. What do you think, my friend? What have you learned about yourself from being a poet? What have you learned about yourself? Uh, I know that I know that I it, there's a big world out there, especially with the World Wide Web. You know, I this is still new for for all of us. You know, I mean, for the World Wide Web, I mean, you know, Facebook and, and looking for. You know, I don't have to go to the library and look for addresses of magazines and uh, stuff. Uh, I've learned that I love I love writing. I love creating, you know. And I know that if I don't write something today, I might write some notes or I'll be thinking about something. Like that thing I was telling you about Mount Rushmore. I've been thinking about mm-hmm. that for a long time, you know, about Mount Rushmore destroying it. You know, like just like all the people want to get rid of the Confederate soldiers, let's get rid of all the soldiers. Get rid of that Washington Monument, man. Get rid of that Lincoln Memorial. Get rid of all that. We don't need that. Why are they going to Mars? Why are they shooting people up in the air space, man? We got people that are hungry. We got the uh, climate change, all this stuff, man. I mean, there's a lot better ways they could spend money, you know. But uh, I don't know. Can I go back to? There I go back to uh, talking, you know, like uh, like I want to be a preacher. <laughs> Do you want to be a preacher? Uh, would, would I be a preacher? 
No, yeah. I was I was at Southern Baptist. I grew up Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah, so, so did I. So did I, Catfish. Yeah. <laughs> I had that. When I married a Catholic, though, it was funny. Uh, I I was going to get married. We got married in 83, and I uh, I had a, a – I went to uh, – Aida was still a Mexican citizen, and uh, I, I uh, went to uh, get a marriage license and fill out the forms and stuff. I had to file for a petition, and they said, well, you're going to have a mixed marriage. And I said, what, Mexican and American? They said, no. Baptists and Catholics, man. <laughs> that was a- <laughs> so I had to go to a Catholic church with my grandmother, uh, who was a Southern Baptist. And, man, she thought it was like, uh-uh. She didn't even want to go in there. I was afraid she didn't want to go. So we went, we went to the uh, university uh, Catholic church here, and, and, uh, and the priest there was like the, you know, the most, you know, uh, free-thinking free priest, you know, and stuff. And we had to ask permission to get for me to be married as a Catholic, you know, and stuff. And we got married in the Catholic church in Spanish down in Guadalajara. And then we had to get married in a courthouse up here in Milwaukee. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in the, in the Southern Baptist church, so, you know, hey, it's not that far away from being a... Uh, a preacher, you know, to quote and stuff, you know. I still remember a lot of the Bible. I mean, I read the Bible, the entire Bible, King James Version. But, uh, yeah, it, sometimes we be watching Jeopardy and I hear something about the Bible, and I'll surprise my wife by popping out with, hey, I know that, you know. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yeah, we'll get down there. <laughs> but anyway. Hey, is anybody else going to call in? You muted? Are you there, Michael? Uh, uh. 